I think one of the most famous sayings that you hear people say thing is there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? There's no such thing as free. What does that mean? You, you don't get something for what? For nothing. I mean, you can't, just, people don't just give things away, so to speak. And, and, and sometimes when we think about that, if something appears to be free, we always want to say, well, what's the catch? What's going on? Uh, you know, you buy this for, you know, fifteen ninety nine, but wait, there's more. You can get another one and it's free, except you have to pay what? Shipping and handling. It's not free. I mean, you know, so you start looking at things. And so when we think about, and so people start saying, well, there's, there's really no such thing, I mean, as, as just getting something for free. And then we turn to the subject of salvation. And when we look at this, there's often confusion when the subject of salvation is discussed. Because the message of the Bible, uh, the message of grace through faith seems too easy. It seems if you want to write out beside it, it seems too good to be true. I mean, think about this. What must a person do to have eternal life? And I have talked to people through, through the last, oh, let's just say the 30-something years I've been here. I've talked to people, and when you tell them it's faith in Jesus Christ and they have eternal life, many times they say what? That's too, it's too easy. It's too easy. It can't be that easy. It can't be that easy. Let's talk about the salvation message is Jesus Christ, let's just put Jesus Christ died and rose again, right? And whoever what? Believes in him has what? Eternal life. John three sixteen, right? God so loved the world that he gave his son, his son to die, that whosoever, who anyone, would believe would have eternal life. They never perish but have eternal life. It, that's a gift, right? It's given to us. Ephesians 2, now, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the... Gift of God. So when we say that to have eternal life costs you what? Absolutely nothing. And, and people could say, well, what, what do I really need to do? Nothing. You take the gift, right? And so when we start saying that, a lot of people say, that can't be right. I mean, that's, that's too easy. And when people start talking about salvation, they oftentimes mix it up. And the message of grace through faith seems too easy. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Tell me. What you hear people say you must do in order to be saved, besides faith in Christ. Okay, and what does that mean? We're not sure. <laughs> it's the idea of to be saved, I say to God, I give you my life, which means what? I'm going to serve you, I'm going to live for you, I'm giving you my life, and then you'll save me. So it's a swap deal. I give you my life, and then you'll save me. So it's not by grace through faith, it works. What's another one? What have you heard? You need to make up. But when walking down aisle is meaning what? Make some kind of public profession. You've got to be willing to, to go public with this thing. You can't just say, I believe about Jesus, but no, I, I'm not going to tell anybody. Well, if you don't tell anybody, it doesn't count. You've got to get up. You've got to do something public to prove or to be saved. You know. All right, what else? What's some others? Okay, let's do this one. Ask Jesus into your heart. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, the Bible, in the Bible, the heart and the mind are the same. So it's basically saying, ask Jesus to come into your mind. Okay, what does that mean? And what does it mean to ask Jesus to come into your heart? Because people say, well, that means ask him to come into your, your life, right? Okay, how does asking him to come live in you save you? What does that have to do with salvation? If Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, he said, whoever will ask me to come live in them, I will save them. He doesn't say that anywhere. Okay, what's another one? I heard another one. What was another one? Well, you have to be baptized. Yeah, because baptism, for some reason, baptism, and that's water baptism, right? 
that has something to do with salvation. I love the verse that Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. It didn't say baptism has anything. In fact, baptism is not part of the gospel, and the gospel is what saves. So, what's another one? Anybody got another one? Well, yeah, be good. Be good. If you be good. In fact, what are some ways to God? People say, do good things, do the best you can, keep the Ten Commandments, follow the rules, go to church, uh, turn turn away from your sin. How many about you need to give up your sins? You need to turn away from your sins. And a lot of times they use the word what? What word do they use? Repent. You got to repent. Repent of your sins. Let me ask you a question. Uh, counting the major translations, because there's a few what I call minor translations, but where in the Bible does it say? Repent of sin. If you get a New American Standard or a King James or a New King James or a uh, NIV, there's never a place in there that says repent of sin. It says repent a lot of times, but not of sin. Now, there's some other places, and some of, there's a translation called the New Living Translation, NLT, that takes the word uh, repent, metaneo, and translates it every time, turn from sin. You've heard me on Sunday morning, we talked about the word repent, because John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Jesus starts his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And a lot of people think repent means what? Turn from sin. But it doesn't. It means change your mind. And so he's saying, change your mind. The king is here. That kind of thing. So you've heard people say, turn away from sin or repent of your sins. Let me ask you this. So you got you to gotta turn away from your sin in order to be saved. Any in this room, anybody in this room today, did, you, did anybody sin one time? Just once. Did anybody sin any at all today? How many people sin today? You better raise your hand. I'm, I've been following you around. I've... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the deal. If we have to turn away from our sins to be saved, do we still sin? Are we still sinning? Then we hadn't really turned away from our sins, have we? I mean, what's the deal? Now, there's people who'll say you need to do good works to show it's day saved. And then the question would be how many good works and for how long? So when you start getting to it, is salvation a gift by faith in Christ for eternal life or is it something we do? Now, what, what do we can go downtown Stillwater, we can go on the campus, we can go places, we can just stop random people and ask them, what do they think a person has to do in order to be with God forever? You could put it that way, you could say eternal life, go to heaven. What's a lot of people going to say? Do good. Do good. They're going to say that. Where did they get that from? Where in the Bible does it say that the basis for salvation is people doing good works? In fact, just think of Galatians 2. Knowing a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ that we may be justified by the faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should. But the Bible is very clear that it's not works at all. And yet, so many people have this idea that you do good works or some kind of works in order to be saved. So here's my question, if you notice. Where did the message of works come from? Because it didn't come from the Bible. It didn't come from the Bible. Came from, it came from men. Men made this message up. From the, from the very beginning, after Adam sinned, and then God put the whole thing, then Adam started telling everybody he had to do good works to be saved. Do you think that came from Adam? 
You think that came from Noah? Noah, what, who, who, what'd you say? Satan, yeah. Is there not a false gospel in our world? Whole, everything is based off a lie. The lie is do good and God will love you. You can't do good and God already loves you. So just remember that when we start talking about Satan and his message and his plans and his domain and his ministry, this false message that everybody believes. Listen, tell me, tell me under Islam, what must you do? Not, they don't use even the term to be saved, but to be able to be in paradise someday. What must you do under Islam? There's five pillars, Right? One of them's a hajj. You, you're supposed to, at some time in your life, make the trip to Mecca. You just about got to. If you don't make the trip to Mecca, you didn't make it. You've got to pray seven times a day. If you don't pray seven times a day, you're not going to make it. You can't eat certain foods or drink certain things. Is that right? Okay. If you drink that, you're not going to make it. Is that works for salvation? Mm -hmm. Of course it is. Where did it come from? You, you start looking at Hinduism. You start looking at false religions. You, it's all religion is false. If you start looking at the cults, which even take truths from the Bible and then warp them, all of them, uh, all of them change the message. Why is there a message of works out there? Where did this come from? It came from Satan. It is. It came from Satan. And we're going to see it as we go through. So this whole idea that uh, it, it, there's a false teaching that is attractive. Now let me ask you something. Why would people want to do good works to be saved. Yeah, let me tell you something. See, Susie, she's not as good as I am. And she doesn't deserve to go to heaven. Because, see, I've tried to live a good life, and I go to church, and I've tried to keep the Ten Commandments, and I've done things. And I know that she doesn't. And so, deep down, I know that I deserve to go more than she does because I've done the good things. I've done the right things that God tells us to do, and she hadn't. Because all you have to do to any person is say, does a murderer deserve to go to heaven? And they go, no. And I say, does a good person deserve to go to heaven? And they go, yeah. And I say, there are no good people. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So nobody deserves to go. And so mankind in our whole fall, in our system, in our world, and the lies of the devil is we think if you do something good, then God's going to honor that and you get to be with him because you've been a good person. Yeah. What did the rich young ruler say? What, what good thing must I do? What good thing must I do? Jesus said, you want to be good? Okay, keep the law. Right, right? Listen, if anybody says, I want to go to heaven by my works, it's just, Jesus said, you can do that. You can do that. You can go to heaven by your works. Just uh, don't ever sin. The problem is you come into the world already with an imputed sin. Right? And a natural bent to sin, and then you choose to sin. So you can't, there's nobody can do it. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that measures up. Romans, if you read Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, he actually says that those who do good gain eternal life. But he's using it in the context of if you were to do good and never sin, you could gain eternal life. But you can't. 
So as we look at this, there's this, there's this thing that appears attractive to people. And so when you tell somebody that you're saved by trying to live a good life, that sounds good. If you tell them you're saved simply by faith because there's nothing you can do, that doesn't sound good. They go, that doesn't sound right to me. That doesn't sound right to me. So this evening, we're going to look at the devil and his message and his ministry. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at these fallen angels, these, these, uh, these demons and, and Satan, and being in rebellion, being in rebellion to God and hating God and man. And, and so we saw uh, two big sections. First of all, we focused on, right now, Satan. Satan, the leader of the fallen angels. That's who we're looking at right now. That's at the bottom right here where it says focus on Satan. And then the, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at him, who he is, what he's doing. And then our second focus, we're going to focus on the demons, the fallen angels. And we'll see how they tie together. So basically, uh, a way of looking at it, I think... I think we'll have through verse 11, through, through lesson 11, we'll be dealing with Satan. And then lessons 12 and 13 for our class, we'll deal more with the demons, the occult, and how they write it. So I think the demons are writing it, come in more in the false religions and the false worship and the occult and that. Jonathan, got a question? A lot of people say you're not in the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. What does that have to do with. Uh, uh, Oh, you're going back. Oh, I'm sorry. I, we, I'm sorry. Okay. All right. So you're, you brought another point up that some people say you're not saved unless you speak into That's right. That's just another one of those things that people bring up all the time. Okay. So we, uh, I got, forgot where I was. What were we talking about? Oh, so basically lessons 11 and 12 are going to really deal with the occult. The occult and this fallen world and the satanic influence and the demons that are there. Okay, so let's think about this. Um, Satan is evil. I've got at the top of the next page where it says the devil, and we've got the things that we've looked at so far. We looked at his sinfulness. It's sinful from his fall. Now we read on how is Satan sinful? From his fall, he's evil. He sinned from the beginning. He opposed God and man. He tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He attacks believers. He's like a roaring lion. You don't have to write all that in there. You already know that. And then we talked about his names. Give me some of his names again. What are his names? Lucifer. Okay, what does Lucifer mean? Shining one. one. What does what uh, evil one obviously means the evil one? What's another one? Huh? Okay, okay. Satan. What does that mean? Adversary. Yeah, destroyer. The devil. Yeah. There's just there. There. All those names have some meaning. Then we looked at his position, and his position was the prince of the power of the air, this age, and this world. And then we looked at his activities. He's the tempter, the accuser, and the deceiver. Now tonight, as we get into this, we're going to see the devil. We're going to look at two things: that his domain and his ministry, sort of his plan. And we're going to get details in some more lessons coming, but I want you to see this. So let's start with domain. And what do we mean by domain? We mean his place of authority, his place of rule. And we've already seen and already mentioned that it's this fallen world. He lives, he moves, he exercises power in a fallen world system. It is amazing to me, and I don't, I don't understand it. But you had Adam, who was supposed, to, who was supposed to be king. King of the world, <laughs> king of the hill, king of the world, there he is. And he sinned and he lost it. And Satan became king of the world. And he is called the prince of the power of the air. He's the god of this age. He's the god of this world. I mean, that's who he is. And, of course, the plan one day is this is the first Adam and this is the last Adam. And the last Adam is Jesus Christ who's going to come and he's going to be the king of the world, the king of kings and the lord of lords. 
And that's what's going to happen. And so when we think about this domain, Satan controls our world. He controls our world system. He has the power. It's the cosmos. It's the ordered system. So here's what I want to do when we look at this, this world, this domain. We're going to list two things, number one and number two. You see them down there, two aspects. Number one, the believer's relationship to this world. We're going to talk about our believer's relationship to this world. Or you can put it to the fallen world or however how you want to put it. Believer's relationship to this world, to the cosmos, okay? This is number one. Okay. And then number two right under it is believer's, the Satan's relationship to this world. Satan's relationship to this world. Okay. So we're going to look at two things there because we've got to talk about the world. So number one, if you see it, the believer's relationship to the world, to the cosmos. You can put it ever how you want to there, and we're going to talk about that. As you leave it at the, at the bottom of the page, I just want you to look for a second. We've got Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. So I told you to, to look in Ephesians. So flip over there, and I want us to start back by thinking about what, what we were like because we were not always believers, right? Some of you were... Uh, became believers at a very young age. But the bottom line is, there, I wasn't. I was 19, which really is sort of young. Here, you know what I found out? I did, we did all kinds of studies. And you find that about 86% of people who become Christians become Christians before they're 20 years old. And a much smaller percentage of people become Christians after they're 20 years old. So when people get into their 30s and their 40s, I don't mean in a bad way, but their chances, if they've rejected Christ from, from this point up, uh, their chances of them trusting Christ are slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. If you go back and read Romans chapter 1, he talks about that, where God gives people over. He allows them to follow their views and thinking. So the bottom line, I trusted Christ when I was 19. Uh, and and uh, so some of you trusted Christ when you were much younger. You know, people say things like, what's your testimony? And somebody will say, well, I was into drugs and this and I trusted Christ. And they go, man, that's a great testimony. Man, I wish I had a good testimony. What is your testimony? Well, I was six years old. My mother and daddy led me to Christ. I'd say that's the best testimony of all. That'd be the testimony I want everybody to have, that they wouldn't get into drugs and alcohol and everything else and then suddenly get saved and their life get better, that they trusted Christ when they were six years old. That'd be wonderful for all of us. Um, but we were, look at what we were like as an unbeliever in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What does he mean, dead? I just want you to think about it for a second. We're, huh? Uh, what does it mean you were dead? Huh? What did you say? Spiritually dead. We were de dead spiritually. You remember we come into this world... And we have a body, and a soul, and a conscience, and a flesh. But we don't, we're not spiritually alive. We're spiritually dead. The spiritual part is what relates to God. That's why the unbeliever doesn't relate to God. That's why the unbeliever in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, can't know the things of God. We're dead in trespasses and sins. By the word, the word trespasses means to step across the line, and the word sin means to miss the mark. And so we sin in two different big ways. Either we on purpose decide we're going to sin, we step across the line, or we just don't measure 
measure up, and we're both that way. Look what he says. We walked formerly across according to the course of this what? We lived according to this world. We also lived according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Satan. And then look at verse 3. And among them too, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. You ever heard of the world, the flesh, and the devil? There it is right there. That's how we lived, right? That's us. And we were connected in this fallen world. But notice verse 4. How does it start? But. What's but mean? What do you see when you see a but? <laughs> and I'm just talking well, yeah. On the tape, we're talking about a preposition, a conjunction. So what do, you, what do you see when you see a butt? What do you see? It's a contrast. We were dead, destined for wrath. That's how that verse ends there. We were destined for our wrath, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up. So the truth is this, that when you trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, you became spiritually alive. And you've seen me write this down. We became, we have a human spirit now, which relates to God. And that's the part of us that's born again. And he goes on and says, by grace you're saved through faith and everything like that. So that's what we were like. And now we're in Christ and when we trusted Christ as Savior, and if you want to, you can go to the top of page 3, where it says, we trusted Christ as Savior. And I want you to see, I'm going to read to you from Galatians chapter 1. Listen to this, okay? Listen to what happened when we trusted Christ as Savior. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. He rescued us from this fallen world system. Now something I want you to grasp and understand that as a believer, we are in the world but not of the world. We're in the world but not of the world. And by the way, that's supposed to be um, uh, the, the verse underneath it is, is John 17, 14, not John 17, 4, okay? All right, just so when we get to it in a minute. But this is, we, we are what? This is John 17, 14, yeah. But we are in the world, but not of the world. Now, you understand the difference? See, let me ask you a question. Where's your citizenship? In heaven. You're an ambassador for Christ. Your citizenship is in heaven. You don't, you, you may live here. You're in this world, but you're not of this world, okay? So the first thing I want you to see is that we are in the world, not of the world. The second thing I want you to see, we are hated by the world. That is John, 5, John 15, 18 and 19. It says, if the world hates you, you know what hated me before what hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love you. But because you're not of this world, and I chose you out of this world, because of this, the world hates you. Now, you understand that the world hates you. And all you have to do is turn on TV. And if you stand for anything righteousness and truth, you will be hated by a segment of people in this world. And the whole world system will hate you. And when you say you believe the Bible, let me tell you, all you got to do, you can go on that campus, or you can go almost anywhere, and you can stand up and say, I'd like to make a public statement. I believe that the Bible is God's perfect word and that Jesus Christ is the only way a person can have eternal life because he's the way, the truth, and the life. You'll be attacked. 
you'll be attacked. You'll be attacked by people who say they're Christians. You'll be attacked by people who are not Christians. Because you've just said you believe the Bible is God's perfect word and you believe there's only one way to salvation and that's through Jesus Christ. And if you added one more thing and said, and that salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, they'll try to kill you. You live in a fallen world and the world hates you. It does. Now, when we talk, talk, remember, the enemies are not the people, but it's a fallen world system. And people are used by Satan. People are used. We're going to see it in a couple of lessons on how that one of Satan's plan is to infiltrate the church and cause divisions within the body. How many of you ever have been in a church that had division? Okay. So he's, been, he's done it, hasn't he? Of course he's done it. Who did he use? People. People. We'll talk more about that in the next couple of lessons, maybe. Okay, so we're in the world, not of the world. We're hated by the world. But look at this last thing. We are sent into the world. John 17, I'm going to read it to you because it's the high priest prayer of Jesus Christ. But listen to this. This is John 17. Let me get over there to verse 8. I just want you to hear this. Here's what he says. He says... I'm, wait a minute, that's not the word. I may be in the wrong place. I've got John 17, 8, but I don't think it's it. Is, is it 18? Yeah, it's 18. What am I looking at? Oh, I'm looking at the wrong place. It's supposed to be 18. So once again, we've got another error. And I'm, thanks for doing it. Listen, you know this is the first time we've taught this. So sometimes we have handouts and things that are wrong. Anything you find that's wrong, let me know. Because we've got to correct it for the next time we teach this. Because the next time we teach it, it will be in a booklet form like some of the other studies. So this is John 17, 18, which says, As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Let me bring you a thing real quick. So I can get this changed, John. Okay, thank you, Susie. Okay, so think about this. We're in the world, not of the world. We're hated by the world, and we're sent into the world. So think about this. You always hear me say at Stillwater Bible Church that we gather together for worship and training, and then we scatter for evangelism and training. We are, we're like together tonight, right? This is fun, isn't it? I mean, it'd be, it could be better if it could have like donuts or something. But it'd be really, it's really fun, right? But then all of a sudden, we're going to go. We are sent. Now, first of all, we're not in. We're not of this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. And then we're hated by it. And then he says, that, that world that hates you, I'm sending you into that world to be his representatives. And I've got right here for you, it says, we're sending the world as, and the word there is ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we're ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech through there. You're an ambassador. What does an ambassador do? Represent. Represent somebody. We talk about ambassador to Germany, or ambassador to Great Britain, or ambassador to Israel. They actually live at another place, but they represent the United States in that other country. Well, we're ambassadors for who? For Christ. So we represent him. He's up there. Our citizenship is up there, but we live down here. We're in it, but not of it. Hates us, but we're sent into it. We're ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech. First Peter 2, 11, we are strangers and pilgrims. What does that mean, strangers and pilgrims? I mean, John, when we go, pilgrim, you know, something like that. What does it mean? Huh? Yeah. And it means we're just kind of what? 
Passing through. Passing through. Keep those wagons moving. Let's go. Keep going. You know, that's what we are. We're just passing through this world. This world's not our home. Have you ever thought about that? We, tie, we, we want everything of this world, and everything of this world is going to be eventually gone. What's the only thing that lasts forever? God lasts forever, people last forever, and the Word of God lasts forever. Everything else will be gone. Every, all the good clothes you thought you had, and the house you thought you had, and everything else you thought you had, it's all going to be gone. All right? So, 1 Peter 2.11, we're strangers and pilgrims. And then last, Philippians, and there is no Philippians 13. It's supposed to be Philippians 3. Let me see the pen again, Susie. Philippians, this, we got a lot of errors on this one. Philippians 3. I'm not, I'm not going to say anything important. Philippians 3.20, we are what? Citizens of heaven. Well, we wait for him to come get us. The Bible says the hope... Of what? Eternal life. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for Jesus to come get us. Is that not right? What's the next event? When could it happen? Any second. What are you looking for? Are you looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and... Purify for himself a people of his own possession, zealous of good deeds. That's what he said. And so we're waiting for him to come get us. Right? Right? So why are we putting down roots when, when we ought to be saying, I don't want to be rooted down. I want to be able to go when he comes. <laughs> so when we think about us in relationship to this world, we're ambassadors. Well, first of all, we're in the world, but not of the world. We're hated by the world. We're sent into the world as ambassadors, as strangers and pilgrims and citizens. Okay, with that in mind, number two, Satan's relationship to the fallen world. What is his relationship? And in 1 John, if you got verse 19 there, 519 says, we know the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This whole world system belongs to who? Satan. It's got his power. When Jesus is tempted, and we're going to see that, we're going to see that pretty soon on Sunday morning. I wonder if they're beating the kids in there or what's going on. But okay, quit beating those kids in there. Okay, but <laughs> of the evil one. The evil one. Okay, now, think about this. When Satan, is, when Satan tempts Jesus, what does he offer Jesus? The world. The world. It's his power. What will happen to the fallen world system? If you want to write anything down, write Psalm 2. Just write Psalm 2. Write Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7. Write Revelation 19, verse 11. And then just for fun, just write Matthew 24 and 25. Chapters 24 and 25. Every one of those passages deal with the coming of Jesus Christ to take the world and be king. What's going to happen to the world system that Satan controls? Jesus Christ is going to rule it. Okay? Now, with that in mind, let's see Satan's ministry and his plan. Is everybody okay? Everybody got it? Okay. 
Oh, those, well, okay, there's a, there's a million verses. At Revelation 19, 11, Matthew 24, Matthew chapter 25. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of places that talk about it. Any place in the Bible that talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ is going to show that idea that he takes over the world. Okay, Satan, his ministry and his plan, he seeks to rule. So let's start. A, he desires to be worshipped. We already know this, right? He desires to be worshipped. Desires to be worshipped. What if, you know, the old saying that somebody sold their soul to the what? To the devil. You know, that they're going to worship the devil and he'll give them good things. You know, all that kind of mess. He desires to be worshipped. That's why, that's what the fall was all about. He wanted to be God. He wanted Jesus to worship him. He wants man to worship him. All this false religions and antichrist stuff, everything. So, number one, number one, under this, he desires to be worshipped. At his fall, he wanted to be God. That's what he wanted to be. Because if he's God, he's going to be worshipped. So at the fall, he, at his fall, he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be worshipped. Okay? That's one. Number two, he tempted Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. When he tempted Jesus, what did he want Jesus to do? Well, that's, yeah. He wanted him to what? Fall down and worship him. Exactly. He says, I'll give you all this if you will... The Greek word is prosukeme, which means to put your face on the ground. He wanted Jesus to bow down to him and worship him. Think about that. Wow. Okay. Number three, he possesses the Antichrist. And what does he want to happen? What happens when the Antichrist comes to power? He desires to be what? Worship. So he wants to be worshiped through the Antichrist. I'm going to show you a verse or two in a minute that actually shows those verses. So, at his fall, he wanted to be like God. He was tempted Jesus, wanted Jesus to worship him. He possesses the Antichrist because he wants to be worshipped through the Antichrist. And then number four is all false worship is actually worshipping Satan. Think about that. All false worship is worshipping Satan. I'm going to raise a question in, in one of the studies to come. Are false gods gods at all? Is there any God other than the true God? Is there any other, like a, a lesser God or a part God or, you know, because Dagon was a God and Moloch was a God and those were gods, but were they really gods? I mean, they were statues and things like that. So, so is there any other God other than the true God? No, but any false worship if you're not worshiping God, who are you worshiping? Yourself. Huh? Satan. Satan, probably. I mean, think about that, right? Uh huh. Is it a different word? No, no, but it means God? you can make, they make a piece of wood, God. Oh, sure. Right. And that's what he's meaning. You can't have any other God before him. But there aren't any other gods. But you can make something God. And the truth is, anytime you worship something other than the true God, you're worshiping who? Because who's behind all the... Who wants to be worshipped other than God? Satan does. Yeah, Jonathan, question? He's, they don't worship the true God. They worship a false God. Right? Islam does not worship the true God. The true God... The true God has a son named Jesus who is God. 
And if they say the God of Islam is the same as the God of, of Christianity, that is not accurate in any way, shape, or form because the God of Christianity is in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The God of Islam is not in three persons. There's not but one person, and they do not recognize Jesus Christ. So it's not the same. It's not the same God. So don't let anybody ever tell you that Islam worships the same God, Allah, and Yahweh are not the same. And Allah is a false god, which means anything worshiping Allah is actually worshiping who? Satan. Satan. That's exactly true. Wow. That's wild. Okay. So where are we? Oh, okay. So all false worship belongs is really to Satan. So think about it. Now, B, I love this part. He has a, B, he has a counterfeit program. If you want to be God and if you want to be like God, what are you going to try to do? You're going to be as far away from God as possible or as much like God as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants to be just like God. In fact, that's why it's so dangerous because false things look what? They almost look right. People go, that sounds okay to me. <laughs> if you just give your life to Jesus, you're going to be okay. That sounds okay. If you say, listen, listen, here's how you know you're saved. Just look, If you are living for God and you have a heart for God and you want to pray to God and, and you're trying to serve God, that's how you know you're saved. And if you, if you don't really have a heart for God and if you're not really serving God, then you're really not saved. That sounds almost right. It's from the devil. Okay, YHWH is the personal name of God, okay, in the Bible. And it's actually, we're not sure how to pronounce it, but the Jewish people ended up with the word Jehovah or Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. And so that's the personal name of God, our God. So I said that Allah and Yahweh are not the same. Okay, some others say it this way. The false God of Islam is not the same as the true God of Christianity. Okay, that's right. All right. That's a good question. Good question. Okay, counterfeit program. All right. He's the prince of the power there. Number one, he has a religious system. He has a religious system. Second Corinthians 11. Let me get over there. Satan, listen to this. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. An angel of light. So he has a false, it's a religious system he has set up. And number one, where it says false, he has false messengers. False messengers. False servants. You can put that beside that. False messengers, false servants. Uh, the passage, I don't know if I have it written there. Yeah, put out beside that. Uh, the, the, the verses 2, 11, 14, and 15, same verses right there. It says, Satan disguises himself with angel light. It's not surprising his own servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So they, they look godly. Some things look godly. Let me ask you something. How many people are fooled by um, Joseph Smith? Joseph Smith said an angel called Moroni appeared to him and brought him a new message. And the message was that he found these big glasses, that he could look through these glasses, and he found a golden symbol type thing. And on those, with these special glasses, he wrote what's called the Book of Mormon. And so this angel named Moroni gave him the new book, in which is the new religion. And they basically said, up to this time, everything else was wrong. And so Joseph Smith was the new prophet. <laughs> 
Do, are people fooled by that? Of course. There are people all over think Joseph Smith was fine. Joseph Smith was a, an idiot. He was an idiot. They ended up getting killed because he was evil. He, he was a, a charlatan. He went around claiming that he could, could find water and find money and find things from the ground. And when he started this religion, nobody ever saw the golden plates. Nobody ever saw the glasses. Nobody ever got anything. And, and he copied some parts of the Book of Mormon are copied directly from the King James Bible. The rest of it is stuff he made up. And he said an angel gave it to him. You know who gave it to him? I think an angel did give it to him. But what did Paul say in Galatians chapter 1? I'm amazed that you're so far already removed from the true gospel. For if I or an angel out of heaven should give you a different gospel, let him be accursed. Paul already warned that if some angel came and said, I got the message from God for you, that's going to be a new revelation. The answer is no. It, and there's so many people that say, well, that, that sounds good to me. And Jehovah's Witnesses, that sounds good because they're using God's name. And this sounds good to me because... The, and so it's false. They got false messengers. Let me tell you the next thing. It's at the top of the next page. And I'm, uh, it, it, they got a false doctrine, which means false teaching. False teaching. First Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 3 calls it the doctrine of demons. Now get that. The teaching of, de of devils. The teaching of fallen angels. He has, a, he has his own doctrine. He has his own doctrine. And it's this. Do good and God will love you. Do good. Be good. Uh, God doesn't want you to be like him. I mean, think about it. What's the ultimate goal of a Mormon? A Mormon man. He's going to be a God. Where did he get that from? Who wants to be God? Satan. This is Satan's religion. That's all it is. It's false. And they have a false doctrine. And, and, it's, and, and it's basically the bottom line, the false doctrine of Satan's teaching is works for salvation. That's what it is. It always is that way. Always is. Think of any religion you can think of the world other than Christianity. Christianity is not a religion. Anything you can think of, what do they have people doing? Something to gain God's acceptance. We don't do anything to gain God's acceptance. He's already satisfied in Jesus Christ. We don't come to God and say, what do you want me to do so that you will save me? He said, I've already done it all. I want to save you. It's called grace. And I want you to be saved. And it's not based on anything you do. It's all based on what I do. Religion is man trying to please God. Christianity is God pleasing God. God so loved the world, he gave his son. The third thing is they have a false trinity. A false trinity. What's our trinity? They got Satan... Antichrist and false prophet. That's the unholy trinity right there. It's coming, in the, it's coming in the tribulation time period. It's coming. Satan is like the father because he wants to be God. And the Antichrist claims to be who? Claims to be the Messiah and the Savior of the world. He's trying to, and the false prophet comes giving new revelation as the Holy Spirit did. So he has a false trinity as well. And so if you want to, you can put down in opposition to Christ. That's all it is. He's in opposition to Christ. First John 2 says, Who is a liar? But who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Let me tell you, the false religion says that Jesus is not the Christ. 
Listen, I've done all kinds of studies on the cults. I've taught the cults two to three times in the 30 years that I've been here, and I've taken every one of them, and I've gone through all their teaching, and I show what do they believe about the Bible, what do they believe about salvation, and what do they believe about Christ. Every one of them change the Bible or add to the Bible. Every one of them reject salvation through Jesus Christ, and they reject salvation by faith. Every one of them. They change the gospel message, they change the Bible, and they change Jesus. Everyone, every cult, everything you look at, it's, it always changes it. And it's a false. It's false. And so many people think, that sounds right. That sounds right. Because he comes as an angel of light. Just think about it. Okay, what's his plan? The plan for the fallen world system. What's his plan? And it's to rule as God. Now, I want you to see something. I want to read something to you. Those verses in Second Thessalonians, you don't have to turn there just for the time. But listen to this. This is Second Th- we, we did this not too long ago on Sunday morning. Because if you remember in Second Thessalonians, it's talking about the Antichrist coming to power. The Antichrist is a human being possessed by the devil. And through this human being possessed by the devil, he will be worshipped. Listen to this. Let no one deceive you that time will not come until the departure comes and then this man of lawlessness is revealed he's called the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of god displaying himself as being god and the false prophet demands that all people worship him And who's behind him? Who's possessing him? Satan. That's his ultimate plan. Is to be... And and, in Revelation 13, let me just read this to you. If you have questions, you can throw them out anytime. But in Revelation 13, the dragon stood on the seashore and I saw a beast coming up. And that's the Antichrist. And the beast was like a leopard and this and this. And he had this and he demanded to be worshipped. And all the world worshipped him. And it was giving him a mouth to speak arrogant blasphemies against God for 42 months. That's three and a half years. That's when he becomes the, the, the ruler of the world. That's in Revelation. And the beast has the power from the dragon. And listen to this though. I want to read this to you. The end will come. Notice where I have the end will come. Listen to this. I'll tell you the verses as I read them. This is Revelation 19, verses 11 through 13. Just listen. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Who is this, the heavens open riding on a white horse, who's called Faithful and True? As Jesus. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Does that sound, if you were on the earth in opposition to Jesus, would that sound good to you? That'd sound horrible to you. He's coming. He's coming, okay? Listen, listen to this. This is verse 16. On his robe, And on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then it goes on to say in verse 19 and 20, And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth, 
and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and his army. This is the Antichrist who's being controlled by Satan, who wants to be worshipped in the world. And the beast was seized, and the false prophet, which performed the signs in the presence, was deceived many who took the mark of the beast. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. Which two? Which two? The Antichrist, okay, and the false prophet. What about this one? What about the, what about the one behind it all? Revelation 20, verse 1, 2, and 3. I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand, and he took hold of the dragon, serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for thousand years. You ain't going to win. Just just get it. Just get it through your head. You're not going to win. He hates us in this room. He hates us talking about this. He'd stop us if he could. He can't stop us because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We're in a spiritual battle right now, and by even teaching these things, there's a battle and there's a hatred going on and a spiritual battle that we can't even see. Does he know he's not going to win? I think he's read the end of the book. <laughs> but he's going to take as many... What? Because he wants to take as many of us as he can. As he can. We're not through. Verse 7. When the thousand years... This is verse 7 through 10 of Revelation 20. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released. And he'll come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. And there's this battle. And then it says, The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are there. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. At the end of the thousand years, he's cast into the lake of fire. When I was a kid, I went to see Journey to the Center of the Earth with Pat Boone. And I don't know. Remember this? The, the original Journey to the Center of the Earth, not the other one. And all the way through, as they're going to center, there's this old bad man that's following them, and he's trying to kill them all, and he's so bad. And we're sitting in a movie, and nobody likes that man. And right toward the end, right about the time they get to the center of the earth, the bad man comes out, and there's sort of a fight, and one of the good guys hits him, and he falls over and falls way down into like this lava stuff. And everybody in the movie theater cheered. <laughs> you know, we all went, well, I guess it's okay to cheer in a movie, but we did. That's exactly what we're going to do. When he's cast in the lake of fire. We're going to say, he's gone. What? I hope he doesn't look like Pat Boone. You said the same thing. Now, Susie, to you, yeah, he may look like Pat Boone to you, and it may be the young Pat Boone, not the old Pat Boone. If you get too close to the old Pat Boone, he doesn't look like the young Pat Boone. Let's just get that fat, okay? But I think Pat Boone's one of the great ones. But I don't know how he got off on that, but let me just say this. We'll be glad when he's gone. We'll be glad when he's gone. And we almost want to say to God, why are you letting us go on like this? He says, because every one of you have to make your choice. I put you on this earth. I've given you decision-making capacity. You, you, I have the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And every one of you have a choice to believe in me and have eternal life as a gift or reject me and ultimately follow this and be separated forever.
It's a fallen world system. He controls it. He has a plan, but it's not going to work. So as we finish, we've got application. Let me just throw a couple of quick things out there. Just realize that we're in this spiritual battle because Satan controls this world. We're in a spiritual battle, and Satan controls this world. It's really bad. It's really bad. So you're going to have to know the Bible. You're going to have to put on the armor of God and all that kind of things. We're going to get to it later. We're going to get to some actual steps that we as believers can take so that because we haven't really got to the, to the lesson in which what does he try to do to us? What does he try to do to us? We just see the, the system and wanting to be worshipped and all that. We're just, we're the big things. So do what? Question? Comment? Input? Sorry. Okay, so know the Bible, know, you know, all that kind of stuff. Beware of a battle. Okay, number two is God will ultimately judge Satan. Where did he judge him to begin with? What? At the cross. Exactly. He's already judged. He's already defeated. Listen, do you think, do you think that God's going, I hope I can get him one day? Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about it in, in about two, three lessons where we're actually going to see Jesus and Satan. Satan's plan against Jesus. But Jesus, going to, Jesus wins. He wins. He won at the cross already. It's already over. It's already over. We won the battle. It's as if the game is going on, and it's tight game, so to speak, but we already know that the game is over, and we already know the score, and we already won. Listen, sometimes we'll go to ball games, and you're sitting there, it's a tight game, and you go, oh, good gracious, good gracious, I hope we win, I hope we win, and then we win. But then you go home, and you recorded it, and you're watching it, and you're going, I know we're going to win. That doesn't matter whether we're behind or not. I know we're going to win. So it's like right now we should be saying, I know we're what? We're going to win, yes. I, I, well, I just threw that out. Well, I don't, know if he, I don't know if he says in the Bible, you have to get your stuff together before I come back. I, I don't know if he says that, but that's a point. It could be there are some people who believe that when, we, uh, when the, last the last right person is saved, he'll come back. That's a po good possibility. There, there used to be a thought that people would say that when Jesus is proclaimed throughout the whole world, he'll come back. That's during the tribulation. That's not during this time. So you can't use that one. Jonathan? Okay, well, first of all, angels are spirit beings. So he'd be a spirit being at the throne of God. We don't know whether he took a form of a serpent or he actually possessed a serpent. The serpent's an animal. Yeah, that Malachi passage or Zechariah passage where right. he accuses, yeah. yeah and so That's, it's in a, yeah, and, and I don't know what he looked like there. Okay. I don't know, in fact, what we, we, what we know is this, that there are good angels that look, that can take the form of people. We raise the question of do bad angels take the form of people? Everything that I see, especially in the New Testament, was bad angels possess people. But are there places like Satan and like these things that come up out of the ground during the tribulation, if those are angels or bad angels, then angels can also have some kind of form. So I, we just don't know. We don't know what he looked like. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Angels can take forms. Well, I think only of God plans that. I don't think you just see angels just going, I'm going to look over here and then disappear and we go, what was that? You know. So I don't know. I, I, it, it, 
if if they can appear and disappear anytime they want to, they're not appearing at all. Not around me. I never see them.